Paul Ray is Head of the School of Culture and Communications and an Associate Professor in Theatre Studies at the University of Melbourne. He is the author of two books, Real Theatre, Essays in Experience, published in 2019, and Theatre and Human Rights, published in 2009. And he's currently working on two other books. Alongside Kayleen Tan, Paul was co-director of the Singapore-based theatre company Spell 7 Performance Club. He has a wealth of experience in contemporary theatre practices, both in Melbourne and overseas. Here, in an interview recorded over Zoom during the COVID-19 pandemic, he shares his understanding of how a city, particularly its urban landscape and design, affects the production and reception of theatre and other live performance. The basic challenge of representing a city on stage is one of scale. Cities, by definition, are much larger than theatre stages or theatre spaces. Therefore, you have to work out which tiny part of the city you're going to represent on stage in a realistic setting, or which part, which version of the city you're going to represent in a massively scaled down or abstract way if you're trying to represent large-ish parts of a city in the smallish rooms that we tend to call theatres. Most Western drama prefers to take place indoors. Since the late 19th century, realist theatre has been set in interiors mainly because it echoes or mirrors the basic idea that those plays are seeking to explore the interior experience or thoughts of the characters in those plays. And often characters are most themselves when they're in domestic environments or other interior environments. And therefore playwrights tend to gravitate towards interior environments. And we often only see the city in the margins, like in an Arthur Miller play, for instance, uh, it might be set in uh, an apartment block, but there'll be a number of scenes that take place on the street outside, um, or the characters um, will meet each other, um, or one may be outside and one will be inside, but most often the exteriors are are marginal to the main focus, which is the domestic settings. Often, therefore, people bring city experiences into their actions. Um, they carry bits of the city with them into these domestic interiors, rather than the spaces themselves representing vast swathes of the city. There are, of course, some notable exceptions to this. For instance, Cats, the musical, uh, is a reasonably rare attempt to represent a large part of the city, of the, of the cityscape, of the outdoors rather than the indoors, because that's, of course, where cats hang out. There are other ways of seeking to represent the city in theatre, which involve shifts in scale so that you might be able to capture whole cityscapes through lighting, through set design, 
where you're working with massively kind of scaled down and often abstracted versions of the city. And then you want to think about how the actors are going to relate to that, given that they can't be scaled down as easily as the city can be scaled down. We could tell uh, an accelerated history of Western theatre, at least, by thinking about how it has related to and represented the city through time. So we might look at the ancient Greek theatre um, as being one in which a very small part of the city is represented, the open um, uh, space before um, a temple or a palace um, where a tragic action in the case of tragedies is um, reported um, but um, in the theatres of that time, often these plays will have been performed in the daytime against the backdrop of the actual city where all the citizens had come from in order to gather to watch these plays um, being performed as part of play competitions. So all the questions that those plays were exploring about power, about desire, about uh, fate, about ethics and morals and appropriate behavior, the ways in which people should or shouldn't govern, these all had an immediate backdrop in the actual city and an immediate resonance because of that. If we fast forward into the medieval period, we find the city being a, a backdrop once more with all the guilds gathering on an annual basis, the professional guilds to stage different parts of mystery plays or mummers plays in which they would trundle through the city streets on carts, performing their scene before audiences gathered in the streets before moving on. So at that point, there really was no definitive distinction between the interior of a theatre and the city. The city was the set and the context for the performance. In the early modern period, the period of Shakespeare and gang, there we find a more complex set of different representations of the city. Uh, different kinds of cities are represented to different degrees. They form um, the settings within which people's actions take place. Um, uh, Romeo and Juliet famously begins uh, with a chorus, some saying such and such and such, and such two star-crossed lovers, etc., etc., in fair Verona way, where we lay our scene. So there they are using language to tell the audience where they are and to start to build a picture of the city through language in the audience's imaginations. In the so-called restoration period of the late 17th century in England, we have city comedies where we find all these rapacious and libidinous characters um, cracking jokes and fleecing each other of money, reflecting the rather kind of brutal uh, ways uh, of the city, a city full of now of merchants and chancers and backstabbers and lovers. And then uh, we move towards the 20th century, everything kind of explodes a bit. Performance goes back onto the streets in terms of site-specific performance, many different kinds of festivals. Um, the nitty-gritty parts of the city are represented in, say, 
kitchen sink dramas of the 1950s in England set in uh, rather dingy tenement buildings where essentially people who are really struggling to make a living and to live together um, must uh, find a way nevertheless to endure uh, the surroundings that they find themselves in. In the 21st century, the big story is immersive theatre, often in um, large buildings repurposed to create complex um, participatory experiences for audience members who move up and down and around and about. Punch Drunk is the best known company doing this work. The pandemic in 2020 and the associated lockdowns accelerated certain trends that were already underway or perhaps that were being um, resisted uh, around uh, putting a lot of theatre online or exploring digital alternatives to live theatre or increasingly, especially um, as, the, as 2020 recedes, uh, digital um, live hybrids or performances that are conceived um, to be watched both live and or online. This stands substantially to change how we understand the theatre experience, but, uh, and that brings both strengths and weaknesses. But perhaps one of the most important possibilities or exciting possibilities that emerges from this is actually not really about cities at all. It's precisely about what kinds of access it might afford to people who don't live in cities. Now, there's plenty of exciting theatre that happens um, outside of the main metropolitan centres of Australia and other countries. Uh, but nevertheless, it is the case that uh, it can be quite an undertaking if, you're, if you've got the theatre bug to get yourself um, into a big city to catch some of the kinds of theatrical performances that might not be so readily available elsewhere in the state. So the digital possibilities are quite endless in many different ways, but perhaps one of the most interesting is, uh, is that it stands to increase access uh, to traditionally or conventionally city-based theatrical productions to those that live elsewhere. So the kinds of stories that people are telling about where they live, whether it's the city or somewhere else, stand to be increasingly mingled and changed as a result of using these new technological platforms. Theatre has a complex relation to cities, especially. In some ways, theatre is a city form in many different cultures. It happens in places where many people gather to live and work together and um, want to do something in the evenings, want to go out and think about their lives and their societies and or just enjoy themselves and have a good time. But uh, cities are very complex places. They're very diverse places. And we also know that theatres can be sites of um, cultural elitism. They can be places that appeal to certain demographics more than others. And given in part because theatre is so expensive to make, it can um, often end up appealing more to wealthy people that can afford to go than others.
but cities are inherently performative places there's all kinds of performances happening in cities all the time and if theaters aren't careful they're going to find themselves essentially getting outperformed by the cities around them whether we're talking about the people um, in those cities or indeed the cities themselves as the architecture and other aspects of city uh, of urban design become more and more visually spectacular appealing interactive participatory and so on so it's really important that theaters reflect and um, the the complexities of the cities around them that they find ways to continue to bring in new audiences by telling new stories and um, take themselves out of their of their comfort zones to other parts of the city uh, not to see the city as an intimidating place to try and stage a show but an energizing uh, venue or location where new kinds of meanings can be made. Thank you for listening to this podcast interview produced by MTC Education as part of Melbourne Knowledge Week. MTC Education provides audiences with insights into the theatre-making processes used at MTC to produce its world-class theatre productions. This interview complements MTC's latest production, Berlin, by Joanna Murray-Smith, playing at Southbank Theatre, The Sumner, until the 22nd of May, 2021. For more information, head to mtc.com.au.